Today, Blue thought, is the day I stop listening to the future and start living it instead. The Raven Boys, page 183. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Circle podcast. Where we talk about four dysfunctional teenagers and get in the chopper! No! All right, fetuses, look it up. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to do a sick burn. Like, you're just dropping that, like, in the beginning of the podcast? I cannot. <laughs> no, that's staying. <laughs> Shannon Saucy. <laughs> this is episode seven, and we're covering chapters 19 through 22 of The Raven Boys. And we will also be taking a deep dive on geoglyphs. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle, so you will want to have read the books before you listen. Yes, we always say this and we always mean it. <laughs> we'll use the pronunciation from the audiobooks and page numbers will be from the paperbacks where available. Correct. And a disclaimer from me. This podcast has a teen plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky purience, no violence. Please, no violence. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's get going. Let's get into the episode. We do have a character introduction this time around because we did not actually talk about Helen when she appeared in one of the previous chapters. And because she was just there for just a second last time, right? She was on the phone. Right. It was just when Gansy was mm-hmm. on the phone with her. So Helen is Gansy's older sister. We don't know exactly how much older, but it is implied that at least by the middle of summer, she is out of college. Mm-hmm. She apparently does have a job or, you know, plays at having a job basically as a wedding planner or meddler, mm-hmm. professional meddler. <laughs> She doesn't have a job. She has a hobby that includes other people's lives. Right. Yes. <laughs> and Helen is also just pretty great. She actually, is. I mean, I like her. there are times when you're like, oh, yeah, you know, rich person mm-hmm. attitudes towards life. Very um, privileged. Correct. And I mean, we will see that mm-hmm. in this set of chapters uh, <laughs> with the helicopter. But she does genuinely seem to have a good heart, mm-hmm. at least from what we see. And she does genuinely seem to care about Gansey throughout mm-hmm. the books. I'm sure that there are things that we will get into in later books, later chapters, where we'll talk more about what Helen does. Right. But. And the only other note that I wanted to make was that Richard, obviously, I think we actually cut this from one of our episodes, but Richard is a king's name. Right. And Helen... I don't know that there's any particular reason, but it just reminds me of Helen of Troy. Mm-hmm. It feels very regal. Yeah, it feels like it is at least a hat tip or some sort of like mm-hmm. a literary nod. And the name itself means shining one or beacon mm-hmm. of light. Right. And I just think that's pretty great. All right. So chapter 19 is a blue point of view chapter. Blue waits for Kala outside of 300 Fox Way, willing to strike a bargain in exchange for information about Neve. As they discuss the mysteries surrounding Blue's half-aunt, a small bouquet of flowers is delivered to Blue. 
Yeah, presumably this starts on Saturday afternoon because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like anyone has school this particular day. Right. And I liked right off the bat, Blue walks barefoot to the street and it's like mother like daughter. Right. <laughs> she is so much like her mother. She is really a lot like her mom. And Kala shows up with her carpool. And the first thing she says is, are you putting yourself out with the trash? <laughs> That's pretty savage, Kala, actually. Uh-huh. And then the description, she wore a strangely respectable dress with dubiously funky rhinestone sandals. Uh-huh. Like, hashtag aesthetics, Kala is my queen. <laughs> that whole description cracked me up, too. I love Kala. I also noted that it says the line, blue-green, like everything else in the mm-hmm. day. Blue, like blue, and right. green, like are trees. Uh, and yeah. like, a side note, blue and green are considered the same color in a number of cultures. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Blue says that she needs to ask a question. And Gala, is it a question that sounds better next to the garbage can? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Blue just wants the space without interruptions. And she really can't get that inside. And it's kind of no wonder that Blue spends all of her time out by the beach tree. Right. Because yeah, it's got to feel claustrophobic. No space. Yeah, it's got to feel claustrophobic mm-hmm. in there. And I was thinking that something feels magical or significant about Kala handing the bags off to Blue. Anything in particular? No, it just felt like, because I guess just because you get that one, two, three line, and then uh like one of them will make a point and it's like, here, take a bag. Right, right. (laughs) I'm trying to think if there's any fairy tale trope, and I can't think of anything off the top of my head, and I I didn't. I couldn't put my finger on it either. I was just Uh like, that. it feels interesting to me. Well, it definitely feels like the bags are also significant to me. Mm -hmm. And I think I note that later. But Mm -hmm. it feels like there's some significance to it. Then again, it could be similar to the scene where Mora and Blue were just changing a light bulb. Yeah. And instead of having it be a walk and talk, Maggie might have just been giving the character something to do with Mm -hmm. their hands. So, right. And it says, Kala smelled like jasmine and chili peppers. That just feels appropriate to me. Like, her personality. Kind of sweet and spicy. Yeah. Kind of hot. I didn't think about it that way. But yeah, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Blue wasn't entirely sure what Kala did for a living. Neither are we, Blue. Yeah. Neither are we. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> like, what does Kala do at Aglenby that doesn't involve her knowing any right. of the teachers or students? Especially if it involved Aglenby, paperwork, and cursing at students. Yeah, that definitely implies to me Mm -hmm. that she would recognize Gansey's name. And she sure as heck recognized Ronan. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I can't think of anything that one would do at a school district that would require processing paperwork of any kind that would not have these names. Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't know Ronan's name, though, when they showed up. Like, sure, but Gansey is a last name. Even right. if she's processing school records, Gansey is a last name. Even if she's processing donations, right. I'm sure his family's donated to the schools. I mean, there's absolutely they there's, have. there's nothing that she would do mm. that wouldn't have triggered Gansey being one of the students. Exactly. To me. It doesn't make any sense. And then <laughs> whatever it involved, it also meant that she would get burritos on bad days. And I was like, 
I know. Me too, lady. Me too. Because yes. like, I know that I'm just lucky that Chipotle does not have a punch card because it would be embarrassing. It would be. This is Chipotle ridiculously close to my apartment. And so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then Blue makes the obvious statement that the house is full and only one of Kala's eyebrows was paying any attention. <laughs> I noticed that too. Yeah. And then it was saying that Persephone's angry PhD music was already playing. And yeah. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> Blue says she wants to know why Neve is here. And Kella is kind of taken off guard by that. Mm-hmm. Well, excuse you. I'd like to know the cause of climate change. And no one's telling me that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to well actually this, Kella. But like, well actually... <laughs> Everyone I, is telling you about climate change. I know. And I was I, like, ah, can I yell at a fictional character to not be so scientifically illiterate? No, I don't think she is being. I think she's using sarcasm to make a point. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes we just don't get what we want. And this is a silly thing that, like, right. that I want. Ha ha. Like, sarcastically. But mm. I appreciate the sarcasm, but I'm like, well, actually. <laughs> yeah. And then the line, clutching Kala's bag like a hostage is so good. It is. And yeah, yeah this is where it was like, any guesses as to what might be in the yeah, bags? What is the significance no of the bags? Like, one is square, one is impossibly heavy. Yeah. It just Maybe it's like some weird reagents for a spell. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Fairy dust. Fairy dust. Yeah. (laughs) So Blue says she wants answers because she's tired of being left in the dark. Mm -hmm. And Kala is like, damn straight. Yeah. (laughs) I was wondering when you were going to go all rebellious on us. And she has both Kala's eyebrows attention. Yeah. And I'm like, Kala and Ronan are, you're right. They're the exact same character. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) I mean, they fulfill the same need Mm -hmm. within the scenes. Yeah. I love, love, love that Kala has been waiting for the time that Blue goes rebellious. Because it does show that while Blue may be kind of odd and prickly, like, she's mostly towed the line yeah. in her life. But I do still wonder about the lines about her running away. It's, again, something that just very briefly is thrown out in one line, in one book. Yeah. I didn't even look for the reference. But at some point, she has run she away. Ran away, yeah. And so one would think that she had rebelled at some point. Uh-huh. So Kella asks, why didn't you go to your mom with this? And this is the second time that she's gone to somebody, like, I guess, unconventional, like the person you would think that she might not go to for something. Right. That might be less helpful. Yeah. But it actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because the reasoning is solid. Kella is a rebel. Right. And Blue is right. She's going to get more information if they use Kella's ability, which we're going to talk about in a sec. Right. And, like, Kella has her take another bag. Right. Right. (laughs) Maybe it's like an exchange per question. Maybe. I don't know. Something about the bags. If anyone can figure this out or if anyone has any theories or anything, it's just one of those things where it might. It may be the question thing because when she's like, I'm being secretive, she gives all the bags back. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Yeah. I mean, maybe that is what it is. But again, if anyone has a theory or Mm -hmm. if we're just off the rails on this one, it just feels significant, even though it probably isn't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
there's an evocative line here. Both her lips and the nails she used to tap them were deeply indigo, the color of octopus ink, the color of the deepest shadows in the rocky front yard. I loved that description. Yeah, I do too. So Callow doesn't believe that anyone really has been told the truth about Neve's intentions. Mm -hmm. And Blue thinks to herself, the idea of lying to Calla or Mora or Persephone seemed ludicrous. But Blue does it anyway, basically, by sneaking out. Mm -hmm. Though we do discover later that they seem to have known all along. Right. I thought about that, too. She's like, yeah, she's sitting here like, oh, you can't lie to them. But she's like, I'm going to lie to them. Yeah. They'll never catch me. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Kella had once observed that Mora had no pets because her principles took too much time to take care of. And how does this jive with Mora dating a hitman? Yeah, I asked this, too. Like, that was just... Yeah, what is she willing to bend on? She's uh-huh. she's like, don't touch other people's stuff, but go ahead and kill folks. Yeah. It's such a weird dichotomy, I think. Yeah, and like, you know, the gray man is completely open about it. He's completely open about it. He tells the people he's renting a room from about it. <laughs> Did he tell the like lady that he bought the tuna fish sandwich from? <laughs> Probably. The delivery of flowers interrupts Blue and Kala planning to rifle through Neve's things. Mm-hmm. And I loved her fluffed bangs were larger than the flowers Uh it is one of my favorite evocative phrases in all of the books because with just that line I really have a complete mental picture of the delivery person yes me too she (laughs) looks like the girls I went to middle school with yes Yes! there's like some acid wash mom jeans with some blonde crimped hair going on oh my god it's the same person (laughs) That is so crazy. <laughs> She's got like an oversized t-shirt, maybe kind of off Tied one on shoulder. The side. <laughs> oh my god. Oh lord. A really nice manicure. <laughs> I hadn't thought about the manicure, but yeah. I think we got enough of the same stuff. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, it's just 100%, like, have a mental picture of who this person is. And she mentions that the place is hard to find. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't remember hearing them say that they were particularly out of the way. No. I was like, oh, maybe it's for protection reasons. But they're a business, too. So why would they? Well, and Blue immediately thinks, like, Kala has a deep aversion to anything remotely like small talk. Uh So I have a feeling that it's literally just this lady being like... So, really hard to find this place. Like, (laughs) small talk kind Uh, of a thing. Like, it really doesn't mean anything. That was my thought, anyway. Mm -hmm. And it takes Blue a minute to figure out that the flowers are for her. Right. Because, like, you know, she's never gotten anything like this before. Right, right. And she's thinking that they're for Orla. Right. And I love the story of Mm -hmm. Orla and the painting. Like, the guy who sends her the painting, and it shows her nose, and she immediately breaks (laughs) up with him. Yeah, yeah. That shows you a lot about Orla. Orla, I have seen some people, depending on how you picture Orla to be, saying that that may be an issue if you're looking at someone of a different race to describe them as being large-nosed. Hmm. And I was just mm, like, eh. I, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's I mean, not- I have a huge nose. If someone <laughs> painted me in profile, I'd be pissed. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so I don't yeah. think that's problematic. 
Now the tiny bunch of flowers made sense. They matched Adam's frayed sweater. And this is really sweet, actually. Blue noticed. She finds it pretty sweet and lovely. Mm-hmm. She doesn't judge Adam for not getting her something extravagant. This right. is perfect. The flowers are quiet and sparse, just like him. And also she calls them pretty. Right. Yeah. She loves them. And I just like the contrast of that with Kala's reaction, mm-hmm. which I noted as so Ronin and so rude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's like, you know, the delivery must have cost more than the flowers or, right. you know, whoever it is went out out, didn't they? And I'm like, God, Kala. Yeah. Again, I kind of am like, she's teasing her and she's mm-hmm. trying to get a rise out of Blue and she's trying to get more information out of Blue. But again, that's my sense of humor. And so I'm likely to give right. it more of a pass. And like, she's probably thinking it's from Gansey. Maybe. Maybe. Well, she definitely, by the end of the chapter, is thinking that it's Gansey. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is that she is judging Gansey for sending this pathetic little bundle of flowers or, right. or whatever. Whereas Blue, knowing the reality of the situation, knows that they're perfect coming from Adam and that it right. wouldn't be any different. Yeah. And then she wanted to hug the flowers and then dance, but both seemed insensible. And I'm just like, Blue, it's it's okay. It's okay to be giddy I know. sometimes. I know. I was like, do it. Yeah. It's like, dance and be happy. Yeah. Like, like you said, be giddy. And it does kind of hint at the sensible but fanciful platypus tea sandwiches. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So when Kala asks, who is he? Blue is like, I'm being secretive. Take your bags back. Right. It's like right. she doesn't want to say. Mm-hmm. And deep down, Blue suspected Kala might be a romantic, just like Ronan. Yeah. And then I find it really interesting that the rest of the chapter, Blue is not thinking of Adam at all. All of her thoughts are about Gans. Uh and possibly more collectively the boys right and then again at the end of the chapter Kala issues a warning that basically it's not about Adam it's about Gansey right Blue dropped her eyes to the ground it was true that she was kept awake at night by Gansey's journal and by the suggestion of something more to the world Uh uh-huh Blue and her something more yeah right it was also true that she was dogged by the idea that maybe just maybe there was a sleeping king and she would be able to lay her hand on his sleeping cheek and feel a centuries old pulse beneath his skin and then but more important than either of those was her face on that page of cups Mm -hmm. and a boy's rain spattered shoulders in the churchyard and a voice saying Gansey that's all there is right so it's like you know Gansey's more important than 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 all of them Correct. And if there was this thing happening, there was no way she could just sit by and let it happen. Right. Today, Blue thought, is the day I stop listening to the future and start living it instead. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like you said, that Kala gives the warning of you better guard your heart if you hang out with him, if you get to know him, because he's going to die. Right. Yeah. Kala is assuming that it's Gansey. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting because we know she's thinking the flowers are from Gansey already, but it kind of almost feels like, oh, these are from Adam and we're talking about Adam, but no Gansey's well and that's that was exactly the point that I was making Mm -hmm. earlier is that she does not at all through the any of the rest of the chapter think Think about about Adam Adam. Mm -hmm. at all right all of it is about Gansey from that point on Mm -hmm. which is fine Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) speaking of Adam chapter 20 is an Adam POV chapter Adam arrives to Monmouth Manufacturing and finds Ronan and Noah seeking to defy physics while they wait for Gansey to arrive with a helicopter to go exploring. 
Adam takes the opportunity to use Ronan's phone for its God intended purpose (laughs) and finally call Blue. The chapter starts out at the same time his flowers were being delivered. Adam shows up at Monmouth and the entire description of his poor bicycle makes the Honda Yoda that much more endearing. Yes, I, I noted the bicycle too. Yeah. I was like, oh, poor little bicycle. Yeah. And it's still the most expensive thing he owns. Oh, I'm oh just gosh. like, oh, poor kid. Yeah. Ronan and Noah are outside doing something. They don't seem <laughs> to be very effective at building ramps. That's for sure. <laughs> Adam comes in and is like, when will Gansey get here? Mm-hmm. And then Ronan replies, 10 inches, Noah. And I'm like, this feels funny to me in both senses of the word because it kind of feels like Ronan is answering Adam even though he says Noah. I Like when I read it the first time, I was like, huh. what, is, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> I love Adam's observation. Ronan let his five o'clock shadow become a multi-day shadow, probably despite Gansey's inability to grow facial hair. And then I'm like, OMG, even Adam, I... who was not in on the previous conversation that we saw, knows about the apparent beard war. <laughs> I know. I was laughing about this too. I was like, oh my God, boys. (laughs) Well, and my theme for this chapter are boys are boys. (laughs) It's just like, I have no other themes. I have nothing else to say. It's just boys being. Boys are boys. (laughs) And then now he looked like the sort of person women would hide their purses and babies from. Good thought. Ronan might cuddle the babies. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes to all of this. <laughs> Ronan smiled his lizard smile. Ramp, BMW, the goddamn moon. <laughs> God, I love that line. <laughs> I don't need your back talk, science guy. <laughs> okay i know this is gonna like it's just gonna get repetitive but this really charms me to no end Uh uh-huh yeah i know right it's like i particularly like the one the trajectory you're building doesn't suggest the moon it suggests the end of your suspension (laughs) and Uh. ronan didn't need physics he could intimidate even a piece of plywood into doing what he wanted. And I'm like, yeah, or dream it into right. doing what he wanted. <laughs> Noah says, he sent her flowers. And I, like, FFS, like, for fuck's sake, they just let this stuff go. <laughs> well, I mean, we do have in-universe magical reasons why they let this stuff go. But still, besides whatever happened to Mr. I won't tell anyone secrets, Noah, I uh-huh. feel like he's basically saying this to get a rise out of both Adam and Ronan uh-huh. with his circular time and knowing what will happen in the future. Right. And I noted that Adam actually does question it here, but you were mentioning that, like, I missed a word there. Yes. He questions it out of embarrassment, not out of actual curiosity. It is spelled out in the text that he is not curious about how Noah knows about it. Right. And Noah, the line, he merely smiled in a far off way, looking triumphant. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I can picture it. (laughs) Yeah, I can too. And then Ronan goes off on a little rant about feminism and castration palaces and all of that. Yeah, I I was like... like, Okay, you went from charming to asshole real fast. Uh (laughs) And you need to stop with the misogynistic bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) And we will definitely need to discuss... His toxic hyper masculinity at some point in the future. 
I would say that all of the living boys have that to a certain extent. It shows up in different different ways. It does. And I mean, I think that's part of what gets broken down over the course of the series. Uh-huh. And that is one of yeah. their major character arcs. Absolutely. All of them have that breakdown. And it's a wonderful thing to see. Mm-hmm. At least Adam does somewhat call him on it. Yeah. And he's like, you're a Neanderthal. Uh-huh. <laughs> Noah kind of laughs about it. And Noah laughing is kind of the cutest thing ever. Noah's very cute. I like Noah. And Ronan says, I didn't even realize that Midget was the Adam Parrish type. (laughs) And I'm like, says the guy who's like 6'2 plus... Uh-huh. Tall, and I don't think he's fishing here, but he possibly could be fishing <laughs> here. Yeah, my, my note was like, Ronan, you asshole, jealous much? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. And but also, I- us midgets are great, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I'm the same well, height as Blue, so I'm just like, well, yeah. actually just like a smidge shorter. But- yeah. This does come up later when they see Piper Greenmantle in the store and Ronan points her out and Adam's like I didn't think she was your type <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like hmm. beard stroke <laughs> right anyway yeah and Adam thinks some people envied Ronan's money Adam envied his time mm-hmm. and I'm like that's such a good description of their relationship right now yeah. just the way that they work Right. And Adam is tired and feels like his jobs are so much wasted time. Right. But it's like, you know, five years down the road, nobody's going to care. Right, right. And Ronan didn't have to worry about any of that. And I'm like, that's how Ronan feels about school. That's exactly correct. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get really to the heart of Adam Parrish and his drive to succeed and the shameful event that spurred it. Mm-hmm. There was something peculiarly humiliating and intimate about the moment. Mm-hmm. It really speaks to the pervasiveness of poverty and somehow thankfully adam managed to turn that shame into action right not a lot of people do it's difficult it will break people down eyes hot with shamed tears that wouldn't fall he'd never wanted to be someone else so badly i know and that insufficient fun story man i've been there and it is 100 percent as embarrassing as adam described i've been there too i have brought change to buy (laughs) food that I've you know scavenged Mm -hmm. and you're there like counting out literal pennies to try Mm -hmm. and buy rice yeah we once sold a magic card to buy some lunch you know (laughs) yeah and it's interesting to me that Adam sees a guy who looks and carries himself like Ronan Mm -hmm. but it can't be Ronan but that's the catalyst for Adam to do this for himself for him to decide he wants to go to Aglenby and you know if Adam wasn't tied up in the repeating stuff I would think that maybe it was an echo of the timeline and maybe it really was Ronan I do like it too because once again Ronan even the thought of Ronan gave him something to push off on right it gave him something to grind himself against and like then give himself a trajectory to Mm -hmm. really get that impetus to succeed right yeah it's like Ronan is the action to Adam's like emotion logic Uh, to logic yeah Yeah. because uh, because Ronan is very emotion as well right 
Adam goes ahead and calls Blue. Mm-hmm. And Persephone answers. Right. And it's like, $10, Orla. That was the deal. I love the Foxway ladies. They're making yeah. deals on you. Yeah. And she's all like, no, no, there's no caller ID. The caller yeah. ID doesn't say anything. <laughs> and Which Orla would know that. Uh-huh. I mean, come on. She would know. <laughs> I also love that they're still calling Adam the Coca-Cola t-shirt. Well, I think this is the first oh, yeah, that's instance true. of the Coca-Cola t-shirt line. Mm, no, at the... Oh, no, the Coca-Cola t-shirt was worn at the reading. reading. Yes, yeah, because even here, it takes him a half a second. He's like, oh, yeah, I wore a Coca-Cola t-shirt to the reading. Adam swatted at Nats. The parking lot needed to be mowed again. (laughs) It's just such a lovely little detail. (laughs) And I totally skipped over it. Oh, yeah. Adam is on the phone with Blue, and something about his surprise, the fact that he actually got her on the phone, must have registered on his face. Ronan was smirking in a way that made him want to punch his arm. Uh And of course, Ronan is 100% invested in the outcome of this conversation, even now. Yes. Not only we know where this is headed, we know where Ronan's feelings will go, but even now, he's a jealous dude. Uh Uh-huh. And... He's invested in this conversation regardless. Mm. Yeah, even if he doesn't realize right now that... Well, he would probably be making the same face if it was Noah that was calling anyone. He's Mm. just a very jealous guy at this point. Mm. And Blue's like, I didn't think you'd call. And I'm like, we know, Blue, we know. (laughs) There's been like five chapters of you saying, Adam's never going to call me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm giving up on Adam calling me. Oh, I'm never going to get a phone call. (laughs) And I'm like, like, we should cut her some slack. It's been three freaking days. I know, but we should cut her some slack because she's never had a boyfriend or even any close friends at all because she's been told all her life that there's at least one person she will kill if she lets them close to her. That's true. Like, I mean... Okay. All right. <laughs> I will accept and back off of Blue. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think that I would be a little leery to get close to people if my whole entire life, my family yeah, but, was telling yeah. me, like, you're going to kill people if you let them close Yeah, but you people. don't phone call with your... I mean, I was about to say you don't phone call with your lips, but you literally <laughs> phone call with your lips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. And then um, Blue yelling at Orla to get out of the room. And I'm like, they're so much like sisters. Yeah, they really are. They are. <laughs> it's always busy here. There are 342 people who live here and they all want to be in this room. And I'm like, yeah, that's Foxway. <laughs> yeah. 300 Foxway. <laughs> Adam finds it very easy to talk to Blue, which surprises him. And I actually can see that from Adam. I don't think it is easy for him to talk to mm-hmm. people. And it makes it very easy for him to ask her to go exploring with him. And mm-hmm. Ronan's eyes widen. And in a way, Adam really seems to be enjoying baiting him. Uh-huh. Adam and Blue are already making a friendship. Like, they're right. already connecting. Which is funny because when we see where Adam and Gansy meet later, they also also instantly kind of fall into a friend relationship Mm -hmm. and he again was surprised by it right and like we were mentioning adam asked her and we're going exploring do you want to come with and then he thinks to himself no matter what she said now the phone call had been worth it for the genuine shock on ronan's face (laughs) and i'm like i can see that expression (laughs) he's like He's doing the, like, cut the throat, <laughs> like, motion. He's like, uh-uh, what are you doing? No, you can't, what? <laughs> All right, they get to the point where Adam's like, 
so Blue is somewhat flabbergasted by Gansey's ability to simply procure a helicopter. Uh-huh. Like, same, Blue. Same. Yeah, it's like, oh, so he just got a helicopter, and Adam's like, he's Gansey. He's and I'm Gansey. like, yeah, these two, and Gansey, and money. And I'm like, but they aren't wrong. No, they're not. <laughs> and Adam had asked Blue, how do you feel about helicopters? Uh-huh. And she's like, faster than cannibals, less sustainable. She's here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, God. <laughs> And then he mentions that ley lines are easier to spot from the air. And I'm like, yeah, maybe we'll get into the geoglyphs later on. Well, and if you were in a place like Great Britain where they are marked every couple of miles Mm -hmm. by some sort of concrete symbol, then yes, absolutely. They would be easier to find. Mm -hmm. So they wrap up the conversation and Blue says, "Okay, I'll come. What is this? I have no idea. Mm, I thought that was adorable. (laughs) Blue and Adam are really tentative about naming it a date. Yeah, I was like, aww. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so chapter 21 is another Blue point of view chapter. And Blue immediately doubles down on her decision to defy Mora after Adam makes a call to 300 Foxway. And Blue and Adam meet outside the house. It's like, really? Right outside? (laughs) You're not even trying to be subtle here, are you? Mm. And Blue doesn't seem to feel at all bad about going against her mother's wishes. Really, though? Because it does seem to bother her. It's at least like on her mind a lot. And I wanted to actually get into this a little bit because it's on her mind, yes. But the way that it's on her mind is that she feels like it should feel worse. Mm-hmm. She didn't even feel guilty yet because she had no practice in that either. Really, the most remarkable thing about the entire situation was how hopeful it felt. She was going against her mother's wishes. She should have been dreading it. Mm-hmm. There's this weird mix of hopefulness and everything is going to go to hell in her mind mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. And she says it's difficult to imagine Adam as a raven boy. And I'm like, leave Adam alone, y'all. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the bruise was older and therefore more dreadful. Mm -hmm. Oh, you poor sweetie. Yeah. And the description of Blue's outfit, kind of like Kala's did for you. I wish that I had been that stylishly brave in high school or heck, Uh like now. Mm Just wearing weird, funky stuff. I I did, so (laughs) it doesn't mean anything to me, but yeah. Blue notices that Adam even smells dusty. She thinks the dusty odor of new mown grass. And I'm thinking, did he mow the parking lot between scenes? (laughs) No, Adam, possibly. Possibly. He was waiting. He had nothing to do. Uh Uh-huh. Regardless of Endgame, I do find their interactions to be endlessly charming. And with Blue, Adam is quiet and polite and complimentary and not afraid to touch her Uh or hold her hand. And it's very endearing, I think, to see Blue's perspective on Adam. Because she's an outsider that has just met him. Right. She mentions they didn't look anything like a couple. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, they may not look like a couple, but they are so darn cute here. They are, right. I love it when he's like, oh, you look nice. And she's like, oh, pshaw. And I'm like, I can picture her blushing. <laughs> right, and, right. And I'm just, it's so sweet. And she's like, she was weirdly undone. Mm-hmm. And like, that reminds me of Gangie does that. That's a theme that comes up. It is a phrase that, mm-hmm. that is brought up again. She heard his Henrietta accent for the first time. Pretty. I <laughs> can't rhyme with bitty. 
It always does. It does. Pretty. Not pretty. <laughs> not Betty. My, my T's always sound like D's. But then again, that is my accent. Most people <laughs> do kind of soften their T's. I am one of those people that's like. Yeah. I think you're pretty too. <laughs> he laughed his surprised laugh. He is pretty. He is pretty. <laughs> well, you know, our mental images uh-huh. are pretty. Blue makes her decision to help the boys and hands over a map of the ley line in Gansey's journal. And she also tries to apologize for more. Mm-hmm. And I feel like part of her rebellion is trying to make up for what she and I see as Mora being just cruel to the boys. Just yeah. like needlessly rude. Correct. And Blue is not recognizing what we might be recognizing, which is that Mora's trying to protect her. Mm-hmm. By trying to protect her, she's shoving Blue at these boys. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just another instance of mm-hmm. fate is going to make this happen. Right. Why are you trying to make it not happen? Mm -hmm. And then he held the journal very carefully like it was important to him or perhaps like it was important to someone who was important to him. Uh Uh-huh. Because Gansey is important to him. And she wants him to respect her and trust her. Mm -hmm. With him, there was never any option but the truth said as simply as possible. And what are the things that Blue is picking up here that makes it seem this way? I'm not sure. For me, I do believe it's kind of his observational ability. Like if someone who's going to observe someone else and recognizes that they have excellent observational Uh skills, then there's really no point in trying to pull the wool over their eyes. They're going to see it. Right. And it does sort of, to me, reflect that feeling that she had said earlier about Mora and Cal. Yeah, I was just going to say that. And kind of bringing Adam into this circle Mm, of people that can't be fooled exactly (laughs) right and Blue is like, I want to be in on this thing that you guys are doing. If there's really something supernatural going on, I want to see it. And I'm like, Blue, you live with a house full of psychics. Yeah, but she wants to be a part of <laughs> A it. part of something. Right. Or something more. Right. Adam's face melted into a grin, an expression so unlike his usual one that his features needed to completely shift to accommodate it. Oh, Adam. Oh. <laughs> oh. And so you don't do anything quiet, do you? Blue likes this because it makes her feel known and seen and understood. She hadn't had to do anything other than be herself to earn it. Mm -hmm. No, no. Blue is not quiet. No. She is loud herself and she amplifies everything around her. Correct. Correct. And she's right. Adam is always quiet. Right. That's what Adam does. Right. And they get to Monmouth and Blue is struck by the actual reality of the helicopter. Uh And Gansey jogs towards the... Them. He was still wearing those idiotic topsiders she'd noticed at the reading, this time paired with cargo shorts and a yellow polo shirt that made him look as if he were prepared for any sort of emergency, as long as the emergency involved falling onto a yacht. <laughs> so good. He looks like such a dork. He's such a nerd. <laughs> At this point, I mean, after kind of, you know, a year in the fandom or whatever, and I know other people have been in for years and years, I'm sorry. At this point, this quote will only make me think of the sexy Gansey Tumblr account, (laughs) which is brilliant. 
And I would like to track down the mastermind behind it because Mm -hmm. it is spot on. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, Blue mentions that she was not prepared for an actual helicopter. Not not in the way they prepared her for seeing an actual life-sized helicopter sitting there in the lot looking normal like someone would park an SUV. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I love that Yes, I know. It's so descriptive. It's just like, yeah, there's There's a helicopter. helicopter. (laughs) It's right there. What did you expect? It's a flipping helicopter. All right. Blue describes Gansey, burnished leather backpack, burnished cotton shoulders. His smile was gracious and inclusive, as if her mother hadn't recently refused to assist him in any way. And as if she hadn't just been borderline rude to him. Yeah. That's how Gansey works. He is Mm -hmm. polite to everyone. Like, that's how he deals with life. That's how he gets through. Right. And it's another instance of her worrying about Moira's behavior to the boys. Right. And Gansey is like, you say that like it's a bad thing regarding (laughs) having a helicopter at his beck and call. (sighs) Oh, Gansey. And Blue had the strange shock of reconciling spirit Gansey versus live Gansey. Yeah, this is something that comes up through most of the books, actually. Right, she'll, right. she'll just look at him and be like, yeah, that was the ghost that I saw in the... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a running theme. Right. And Gansey's powerful politeness is always the Latin politician. Right. When Gansey's handed his journal, he looks to Adam for cues as mm-hmm. to how he should be reacting to Blue. Right. And I find this to be an interesting tell of the trust Gansey has in Adam's opinion. Right. And Gansey internally analyzes this in the next yeah, chapter. Yeah, we get Gansey's internal monologue of this moment right. a little later on. Yeah. And later, 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 we get Adam thinking about how he looks to Gansey for social cues. Uh-huh. And it's just interesting to kind of see how they yeah, feed into you know, each they're, other. They're a social group. They all look right. to each other. Blue again takes note of the president's cell phone demeanor. Mm-hmm. It's a sobering thought that maybe the spirit is what lies under the polish. Yeah, I noticed this as well. Yeah, And Gansey says, tighten your liberty bodice. <laughs> and I just wanted to say, the liberty bodice was a clothing reform popular in the early 1900s, as women started to move away from corsets (laughs) and they are linked to the women's suffrage movement at least in popular culture Mm -hmm. so Gansey you nerd (laughs) first this is only a joke an 80 year old man would make drink drink and then in a way though this seems to be a sly hat tip to the conversation he and Blue had had Mm -hmm. kind of an acknowledgement of her feminism right Adam leans into Blue to speak in her ear. And this is where she says he smells like summer, which is something I referenced the mm-hmm. first time they summer, talked outside of Nino's. Mm-hmm. Summer and cheap shampoo. Summer and like, and I just, cheap shampoo. I just found it so endearing. Yeah. She felt a tickle go all the way from her belly button to her feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he felt it in more than his lips. That's what I was thinking about. And Maggie does have a very subtle but beautiful way of describing this frisian of desire. Uh-huh. And I was thinking about the, this is how close a kiss is. And I'm like, danger, danger, blue likes boys. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it just feels like, a oh, oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> and you know, it is. It is it exciting. Is. It's, it's exciting for her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really feel for her with that immediate, like, okay, do I tell him about this? Do I not? It's like, I don't even yeah. know if I want to kiss him yet. So like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you gotta kind of head that stuff off of the past, though, Blue. Like, you gotta have the talk sometime, Uh I guess, so... And his palms were sweaty. He really did hate flying. Or he really likes you, you poor sweet noob. (laughs) 
sweet noob. It's gonna be our t-shirt. <laughs> whoop whoop, you poor sweet noob. <laughs> Gansy sees Adam in blue, his smile complicated when he saw them holding hands. And why is he envious slash jealous? What is he feeling? And remember, this is Blue's observation, much as it's a limited omniscient. Right. So it she is. is noticing him, noticing uh-huh. them. We get later on his feelings about this. Yeah. Yeah. Ronan is already seated in the helicopter and he didn't smile when he looked up. The tension is pretty high here. Uh Adam punches Ronan's arm as he takes the seat, which he had wanted to punch him in the arm earlier. He's following through on that action that he didn't get to do when he was on the phone with Blue. And then Gansey knocks Knuckles with Adam and his enthusiasm turns him into a little boy. (laughs) Adam ultimately just shook his head, smiling like Gansey was a joke that was too complicated to explain. <laughs> Same. Mm-hmm. I was looking at this scene and I'm like, Gandhi loves flying mm-hmm. and he loves the quest. Like he's mm-hmm. such a freaking Ravenclaw. There was some private joy that she had managed to be in on by virtue of being in the helicopter. And just like that, Blue is excited too. And yeah. I'm like, I love the infectiousness yeah. of that mm-hmm. excitement. I wish we had more of Blue's perceptions of Helen because I don't think we really get a whole lot of their they interactions. Don't interact, they don't interact a whole lot. And I wish we did because even just this tiny, tiny little sliver of an interaction or Blue's mm. kind of perceptions of Helen's very, very interesting to me. I would be up for more interaction between any of the female characters. Well, I'd be up for Blue to interact with any female character that's not someone she lives with, to Uh be perfectly frank, because, like I said, I kind of judge Blue for her feminism because we don't actually see her come up against anyone else other than people Mm -hmm. she lives with. Right. I've been looking for this to pass the Bechdel test, and I don't think it does, but that's just something we'll... Yeah, interesting. So far, possibly not. I mean, it does. I don't know that it does. As of yet? As of yet, maybe not at all. Good point. All right. Chapter 22, Gansey POV. The hyper-convenient helicopter takes off. And the helicopter. Gang- <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the gang have their first real chat a thousand feet above the ground. Yay. First off, Gansey's a ridiculous human being, and I love him for it. Same. But who the heck likes airports? I don't know. They're awful. They're awful. Not this introvert. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. And Gansey compares the jet charging down a runway to riding in the Camaro. And I'm Mm. like, I totally see it. And also, I can't believe I'm the one making a note about the Camaro. (laughs) Navita, are you okay? I don't. Maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) That is a matter of perspective. (laughs) And Gansey derived a lot of pleasure from meeting goals. And I'm like, does he? I think he does. Mm. It frustrates him that he's not getting anywhere it feels like he's not getting anywhere but there's all the like why is it taking him so long and the detail that he puts into the journal and the chase itself and yes but like i said i think that i have an answer for that uh-huh but it's something later later okay. yeah Helen's commentary about Gansey's relationship with Henrietta is priceless. Like so uh-huh. many things in his life, one has to assume that he just gushes about his obsession about yeah. it to anyone who will listen. Gansey's girlfriend, she says, they're getting married. <laughs> like maybe he could be Polly with Glendower. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. 
Because, <laughs> like, I was reading the, and of course, from a thousand feet, Henrietta took Gansey's breath away. You know, Henrietta is Gansey's girlfriend. It's like he's bi and he's poly because it's like <laughs> Henrietta and Glendower. It's also like fuel for Blue and Gansey and Henry. <laughs> So not only is Gansey a ridiculous human because of, well, everything, (laughs) Mm -hmm. he thinks about his own tendency to crash helicopters as disagreements involving trees. (laughs) The fuck? (laughs) That's so something that you could take care of with... Oh, Gansey. (laughs) (laughs) And Helen laughing is described as an intimidating laugh that tended to make men suspect they were the brunt of it. My crush on Helen is completely justified. (laughs) I never said it wasn't. I agree. (laughs) Okay, good. She's awesome. (laughs) You went straight from kindergarten to old man with the studio apartment. Take Take a drink. drink. I saw this too. (laughs) I am drinking the finest in Mike's hard lemonade today. (laughs) Sponsor anyone? This is a mistake I will never repeat. (laughs) Gansey makes a dismissive gesture and thinks that Helen was known for hyperbole. Hilariously, we pointed out that Blue thought the same thing about Kala in an earlier chapter, page Uh 137. Also, it's not really hyperbole, is it? No. You know, he he really went from 10 years old to exploring the world and being on his own. So Helen was beautiful the way a supercomputer was beautiful. Sleek with elegant but utilitarian styling, full of top-notch technological know-how, far too expensive for most people to possess. And I'm like, that is such an apt description. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then the fight about the plates. Gansey tries to tell her it's going to be a disaster. He does. She is also an older sibling and is not going to listen to a flippin' word he says. Right. As an older sibling, I can... Same. (laughs) Yeah. Same. If my brother tried to tell me that... Yeah. 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 I'd just be like, no, shut your mouth. Go away from me. Yeah. He didn't like to see either of the women in his family upset. It ruined perfectly good meals. And I'm like, it reminds me of the over the fettuccine line. So they have the spat about Helen's birthday present to their mom. In the silence, Gansey's thoughts turned to blue. Something about her was discomforting him, though he couldn't put his finger on it. Uh He wonders why Adam, who is suspicious of everyone, isn't suspicious of her. Right. But then again, he was clearly infatuated. That, too, was unfamiliar ground to Gansey. Uh-huh. Gansey displays something like jealousy, though we don't understand why. Something about the scene made Gansey feel strange, like he'd heard an unpleasant statement and forgotten everything about the words, but the way they had made him feel. Time echo? If it's not a time echo, where is that jealousy coming from? Because there's been no evidence that they're... Other than the fact that they're so interdependent, codependent, why would Gansey care if Adam's dating someone? Right. Or why would he have feelings about Blue already? Right. Adam hands Gansey the journal and the map, telling Uh him that Blue had them. In the process, she says something, and Gansey recognizes Blue's voice from the recorder. Uh And going through this section again, you know, second time, third time around, it's Uh agonizing to think of kind of a slow horror creeping over Gansey as he realizes this is another confirmation that he's going to die. Right, it is. And there's the line, at once he was anticipatory and afraid. 
Uh-huh. And Ronan also recognizes Blue's voice and is very aggressively confronts her, but uh-huh. Blue doesn't back down. Right. I also found it interesting that it was Ronan who broaches the subject. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's not afraid to be blunt. He's the one who's not afraid right. to be like, hey, what is up with this? Right. And he's like, do you know Gansey? And he just straight up asks her and she's like, only his name. Yeah, you know, that's all there is. Right, right. And so Blue agrees to tell them what she knows if Gansey will tell her about the symbol. Right. Because she tells them that she's seen it from both her mom and her aunt. Right. And <laughs> Ronan being like, tell me why we were negotiating with terrorists. <laughs> and it makes me laugh, but I'm also like... Well, jerk. yes, that is basically Ronan in a nutshell. He makes me laugh, but he's a jerk. Yes. <laughs> and she says, she said something about they're all being dicks. And um, Gansey says, I'm not being a dick. Gansey, you are literally a dick. <laughs> yes, but he hates that name. Capital D. <laughs> So the journal and Gansey were clearly long acquainted and he wanted her to know this is me, the real me. Gansey wants to impress Blue with his handling of the journal. Uh And given Blue's desire in the previous chapter to see under the mask, here it is, Gansey's offering it to her. Mm -hmm. Again, to be seen, to be known, the journal, the pig, Monmouth. That's all how Gansey is inside. Yeah, very much so. And then they discuss the ley lines, the paranormal, and Blue seeing Gansey's spirit. Uh-huh. And through this whole conversation, what I want to know is, what the hell is Helen thinking about all of this? Because <laughs> she is sitting right there. Yeah, I, I had not even thought about it. I had tuned Helen out. Right. And she's the one flying the flipping helicopter. I feel like they're all tuning Helen out in this <laughs> scenario. So Gandhi explains that the symbol is a representation of the ley lines that meet in Henrietta. The main one is the one that runs from the UK to Henrietta, trying to explain to, to, to Blue what the UK is. And she's like, I know what the UK is. It's not... The not, public school system isn't that bad. And I'm like, Gandhi just can't win. No. Anytime he opens his mouth, no, it's a bad, he, he it's a cannot, bad time. He cannot win. <laughs> And then he mentions that the other two lines have a lot of reports of unusual sightings, poltergeists, black dogs, Mothman. (laughs) And it's in the right area this time. Yeah. Mothman. I love Mothman. We had a discussion of the Mothman in the All the Crooked Saints special episode. Uh Uh-huh. So if you have not read that book or listened to that episode, you will not understand why I'm laughing at Shannon and Mothman. (laughs) I... It's a point of pride, okay? <laughs> Mothman is a West Virginia thing. Okay. <laughs> like two hours from my house. Right. Of course. <laughs> That's next. Right. <laughs> um, Blue describes what she saw in the churchyard, the spirit and, mm-hmm, and the candy. Mm-hmm. That's all there is. And she says that she wants to figure it out and like part of why she wanted to come along. She is already knee deep in this, completely tangled up in this. Right. And this is where Blue mentions her half aunt and Ronan makes a somewhat distasteful joke. What's the other half of her? (laughs) And this is used to much worse effect in The Raven King when it's said in reference to Henry. Uh Uh-huh. And this time, Adam calls him on it, and later it's Blue. Right. So, Gandhi actually does worry about Helen being there for the next bit that he's thinking. He's like, he doesn't want to say this with Helen present. 
You're right, Ronan. It's starting. Something is starting. Mm-hmm. And he was also thinking, tell me what you think of her, Adam. Tell me why you trust her. Don't make me decide for once. I don't know if I'm right. Right. So all the crazy paranormal stuff your sister can hear, <laughs> but like you doubting yourself the least little bit is not right. okay for her to hear. Yeah. And then we get to the whole point of this scene. Gansey says, I'm going to need everyone to be straight with me. And Ronan says, I'm always straight. Adam, Oh, man, that's the biggest lie you've ever told. (laughs) I freaking love that line. I admit, while I laughed the first time, because I always appreciate a good straight joke, (laughs) I basically thought Adam was, like, just giving Ronan the smackdown, Uh which he is. And I really didn't think anything of it till the Dollar City scene in The Dream Thieves, Mm -hmm. when all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute... Uh-huh. So really? <laughs> so when did it or did it ever occur to you as possible foreshadowing? I actually didn't catch it until the second read through. Gotcha. Yeah. Gansey mentions the ley lines are often marked from the air. Like in the UK, some of the lines are marked with horses carved uh-huh. into hillsides. He's reminded that he needs to explain this to Blue because unlike Ronan and Adam and Noah, she hasn't lived this life for the past year. No comment on Noah living, though I did circle it in the book. (laughs) Mm. We will go into the deep dive here. So, geoglyphs. Geoglyphs. The very first time I ever heard of geoglyphs, they were described in that delicious repository of all wonders, the Time Life Mysteries of the Unknown series. (laughs) (laughs) Again, look it up. Mm -hmm. The Nazca Lines and I believe the Uffington Horse were put together with the likes of the Pyramids of Giza, Stonehenge, and even Atlantis and the center of the Earth. Interesting. And one could very easily say that my imagination was sparked in a pretty serious way by the things that were described Mm -hmm. and to say that I probably conflated fact with fantasy because of it wouldn't be (laughs) too much of a stretch. So this is something near and dear to your heart then. Well, yes. Yeah. (laughs) My first exposure to geoglyphs was through documentaries and, you know, there's an old, is it real, Mm -hmm. like paranormal investigation shows, basically. And I was fascinated, especially by the fact that they occurred all over the world, different cultures, different places. My favorite exposure to them comes from Terry Pratchett's book, especially like the Discworld series. Mm -hmm. The Uffington Horse, or actually a reasonable facsimile because it's not, you know. Right, it's not set on Earth. uh It shows up in his Tiffany Aching books. Because Tiffany lives on the chalk and she thinks of it as like very indicative of that's home. Right. And the Cerny Abbas giant, which is like a humanoid chalk geoglyph, which is, is nearby. That, is that the one with the giant penis? Yes. Okay. It, like, 30 foot long Yeah. Penis. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. It shows up in the book Lords and Ladies where the witches deal with fairies. Right. And it's the entrance to where Oberon is hiding out. Yeah. Which right. makes total sense to me. Right. right. <laughs> so geoglyphs, as defined by Wikipedia. A geoglyph is a large design or motif, generally longer than four meters, produced on the ground and typically formed by clastic rocks or similarly durable elements of the landscape, such as stones, stone fragments, live trees, gravel, or earth. 
A positive geoglyph is formed by the arrangement and alignment of materials on the ground in a manner akin to petroforms, Mm -hmm. while a negative geoglyph is formed by removing patinaed clasts to exposed unpatinaed ground in a manner akin to petroglyphs. So basically... You can pile stuff up or you can dig it down. So basically what I was going to say is like, so the ones in the British Isles, which are the chalk geoglyphs, are the... uh, Negatives. The negative ones, the Nazca lines are positive ones. No, Nazca lines are negative. I thought they were made from like rocks making. Mm, okay. They're, anyway, we, we'll get, we'll to, get that. to that. <laughs> <laughs> Geoglyphs exist all over the world. The mounds in Iowa would be positive huh. ones. Okay. Because they're actual mounds that are oh, created yeah. that look like a thing, or the oldest geoglyph in the world, which is just created with lines of stones, okay, would be a positive. Okay. So geoglyphs exist all over the world, including the United States, in Iowa, California, the Southwest, Mexico, mm-hmm. the UK, Kazakhstan, Russia, the Ural Mountains, mm-hmm. South America, Peru, Chile, Bolivia, uh-huh. the Middle East, Jordan, Syria, Saudi Arabia. The oldest was likely created in 4,000 to 3,000 BCE, mm-hmm. and that's a huge moose outlined in rocks in the Ural Mountains of Russia. Hmm. Interesting. So even now, new geoglyphs are being discovered, like ones that were uncovered by storms in Peru in 2014. Cool. And new ones are being created, like the Mari, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, the Mari mm-hmm. Man in southern Australia that was created by an anonymous artist sometime in the late 90s. Interesting. That's actually the largest single geoglyph in the world. Oh, wow. Interesting. So, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Uffington Horse. The Uffington Horse is a geoglyph in Uffington, Oxfordshire, England. It was made by digging deep trenches in the hillside and filling it with crushed chalk from the Mm -hmm. area. There are several other geoglyphs in the area. My research showed 13 horses and two humanoid figures in the surrounding counties. But the Uffington Horse is the most ancient. Dating techniques have suggested maybe Bronze Age or Iron Age, possibly as early as 1380 BC, mm-hmm. before Common Era. And like many other geoglyphs, it's carved into an area that is much more easily seen from the air. Mm-hmm. It's very stylized. And I love the description given of the facsimile in Hatful of Sky, the Terry Pratchett book. Taint what a horse looks like, it's what a horse be. Mm-hmm. Like, just, it's a beautiful, almost like impressionist representation of a horse. Mm-hmm. And there are 13 other white horses around the area in Wiltshire, the next county over. But they're all much less stylized, and most of them face the opposite direction, oddly enough. Interesting. The other horses are also much newer, having been made only in the last 300 years or so. From oh, what, huh. Yeah, from the research that I was doing. Interesting. And they were almost certainly inspired by the Uffington horse. Okay. There's a small debate as to whether the Uffington horse is actually a horse. Mm-hmm. There's some people who believe it could be like a dog or some other kind of animal. The argument is that the head and body shape are wrong for a horse. And I wasn't able to find any other info on depictions of horses versus dogs in 
iron or bronze age art mm. but i could see an argument that it might be some kind of dog like a whippet or a greyhound yeah but whippets and greyhounds weren't raised in that area right. they are hot country dogs um and it definitely represents something with speed and my vote like you said is still for horse right especially since there are references to it being a horse in literature dating back to at least the 1300s okay so i'm pretty sure that people knew it was a horse right no one's precisely sure exactly why the horse was made there's a theory that it was made to venerate the goddess epona worshipped by celts and gaul or mm-hmm. rhiannon who is a welsh goddess often associated with epona both of whom were associated with horses some think it may be associated with the sun god Bellinos or Bellinus, who was also associated with the horses, or it could have just been simply a like totemic, this, totemic yeah, animal, just mm-hmm. the the symbol of some local tribe. Right. In any case, the Uffington horse is valued and well loved in the area and has been right. for like a long time. There are coins from the Iron Age that bear a similar symbol, mm-hmm. and until the late 1800s, the scouring of the horse, which is like a general upkeep that's necessary for those kind of figures to remain visible. Mm-hmm. You have to go in and scrape out all of the vegetation and stuff that might grow there. It was part of a local festival. Today, the location is looked after by the National Trust, which is a UK conservation organization. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then the Nazca Lines, which are also mentioned in the book. Mm-hmm. The Nazca Lines are located about 250 miles south of Lima, Peru, in the Nazca Valleys. Mm-hmm. There are almost a thousand shapes, geometric and bimorphic alike. Wow. Meaning, you know, bimorphic meaning plants and animals. Right. Including things like killer whales, spiders, monkeys. I mean, they're huge. Mm-hmm. Scattered so scattered throughout the area. And while many of them can be seen in part from surrounding hillsides, the entirety of scale really can only be seen from the air. Right. And they were discovered, and I put that in quotes because surely native local peoples knew about them. Right. In 1927 by Peruvian archaeologist, and I'm not going to do this well, Toribio Mejia Zepe? Zepe. Mm-hmm. I I have no idea. I'm sorry. (laughs) Apologize. But seen from the air in the late 1930s by a pilot or water surveyor, and there were conflicting sources on Mm -hmm. that. The oldest of the figures may date back to 300 or 200 BCE. Mm -hmm. They were created by scraping aside the darker oxidized rocks on the surface of the plains Mm -hmm. to reveal the lighter clay and lime underneath, which has hardened with exposure to protect it from erosion. Right. The ancient peoples seemed to use lengths of rope and stakes to plot out their lines, similar to modern surveyors. They likely sketched it out in a grid pattern, just like what we would do to Mm -hmm. draw a house, and then then plotted it out based on... Their scale model. Their scale model, exactly. If the lines had been constructed in another location, they might have disappeared in mere years. Mm -hmm. Yet the desert where they were built is high, dry, and generally windless. And this begs the question, where else might these type of things existed but simply weathered away? There's a very good chance that there are a lot of places. Yeah. And there's a movement, which I didn't do a whole lot of research on, but it's popped up just in my peripherals in the past, of actually doing these aerial archaeology, like Google Earth, basically Uh satellite archaeological digs. Right. Theories as to why they were constructed range from something to do with observational astronomy or Mm -hmm. representations of the constellations, ritual paths or roads, routes or markers for water. 
Huh. Messages to the gods and my personal favorite, landing pads for alien spacecraft. <laughs> because nothing says visit us like a giant monkey made out of rock. Well, we are giant monkeys. <laughs> I mean that sincerely. Uh-huh. The ancient astronaut theory is amazing. It is. I 100% owned Eric von Daniken's book, Chariot of the Gods, at one point, <laughs> if I don't still have it. I'm not saying I've subscribed uh, to the theory. <laughs> I'm saying it's amazing. Yeah. So I have a little bit of trivia to wrap things up on the deep dive. Mm -hmm. If you Google Rhiannon, the first thing that comes up is the Fleetwood Mac song. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and the people also asked, is Stevie Nicks really a witch? <laughs> I was like, we talked about that. I know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just come listen to our podcast and uh -huh. we will completely not answer that for you. <laughs> and if you're interested in more about the legend of Rhiannon, there's a musician called, I, I think I'm pronouncing this right, I've actually only ever seen it written out, Dom the Bard, who has an album that's basically the whole legend intertwined with music. It's called the Mabinogi, the first branch. And Mabinogi is a Welsh mythological saga. And I actually just found them a couple of weeks ago and really recommend their stuff in general. There's mm -hmm. a whole lot of Welsh and British mythology. Mm -hmm. And there's a steep-sided dry valley near the Uffington Horse known as the Manger. And the legend says that the horse grazes there at night. Oh, that's kind of cool. I just thought yeah. that was kind of cool. There's also like a children's book called Sun Horse, Moon Horse by Rosemary Sutcliffe. I haven't read it, but I want to because I was researching this stuff. It's a fictionalized tale about what the creation of the Uffington Horse might have been like. Gotcha. I was like, that would have been really neat to, that, to read. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. My only thing to add is that Rhiannon was my red fair name. Your what name? My red fair name. Oh. <laughs> I can see you as a Rhiannon. Yeah. Mostly because of the witchy. <laughs> yeah. I was also very struck by what you have here, that Nazca is where Gansey knew that he just could yeah. not. Gansey does mention that when he saw the Nazca lines, there was this emotional impact and a raw ache that wouldn't go away. Right. And that's when he knew he wouldn't stop until he found Glendower. There's something, too, where Blue says, you've seen them in person. And I just kind of get this feeling, though it's not described, is that she's got like this wonder, like this is someone who's actually been places. Mm -hmm. I've never known anyone who's been places. Right. And she really wants that. Like, yeah. She wants... She yeah. wants to see the world. Right. And then, as they begin talking about the lines, one of them just happens to appear right in front of them. Uh-huh. And Ronan, his voice cold and even, says that it's a raven. Does he recognize it? Question. Is the raven from his dreams? That's a really good question. Yeah. Like, where does it come from? Is it someone, like, one of the people who brought Glendower over? Right. Or is it Ronan dreaming stuff? Because, like, it's caves water. Like, right. it's marking caves water. Right. So. Yeah, it's very interesting. That was the second thing is, was the raven actually created by Glendower's men as a grave marker? Uh-huh. Or is it something that Ronan recognizes and he's kind of dealing with the shock of that? That's why his voice is cold. Right. And then Gansey's skin prickled. And we've been reading this as anxiety, right? Uh -huh. But it's, you know, is it in fact kind of a harbinger of magic? Like it's, a note of something that maybe he's seen before? That's a good question. It could mm -hmm. just be like 
kind of akin to deja vu. Right. And Helen's return look was knowing. And she's dealt with this obsession for years, uh-huh. uh, far longer than anyone else in the helicopter. And, uh-huh. you know, we have to remember that her brother has been gone from her life for seven years. Mm-hmm. And how must she feel about that? Yeah, her younger brother. Her younger brother. And then the last line, the strange raven's heart. And it again connects that thought of ravens and hearts. Yeah, I noted the raven heart line as well. Well, and that wraps up our chapters for today. Yay! Right. So it's most valuable character time. It is. Janet, did you end up picking one? I did. I hadn't picked one until like we'd started recording, (laughs) but I picked one. (laughs) Do you want me to go first? Go first. Kella's eyebrows. (laughs) Damn it! Is this where you wanted Kala's eyebrows to win? Yes. <laughs> All right. Can I give it to you and still say who I was going to say? Oh, okay. Sure. Yes, we can do that. If, if you feel like because that is. I wanted Kala's eyebrows to win at some point. Okay. <laughs> well, this is it. This is the time. This is their day. (laughs) Baby Chainsaw still needs hers. (laughs) I was thinking Adam because he's he's basically like integral to like the whole thing. The whole thing. Jesus. Now you're making it hard. (laughs) I'm going Kala's eyebrows. All right. right. Kala's eyebrows. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then. And then Maggie Watch. It's not really Maggie news. I don't have any new Maggie news, but I do want to make an announcement. With the upcoming release of the Raven King in paperback, a group of folks on Tumblr are organizing a giveaway of books and merch starting today, February 1st, and going until the 15th. So you can search on Tumblr for Make Way for the Raven King giveaway or check out our Tumblr or Twitter for more details. Mm -hmm. And I myself will be giving away a tote bag printed with Maggie's art, which I will be hand decorating or painting or personalizing for whoever wins, along with a copy of the paperback. And possibly, if I find anything, some small items from Emerald City Comic Con, which I will be visiting in early March. Oh, that's awesome. So we expect that things will be shipped in early March because, of course, that's when the actual book comes out. But the giveaway will be the first two weeks of February. Cool. And then a supporter shout out. Yay! We love our listeners. (laughs) We do love these. And I just wanted to give a really huge thank you to a listener from Brazil, Getaway Carlos, Carl Stairs on Twitter, who, if I translated, or I should say Google translated correctly, (laughs) called us the best podcast in the world. I know. Which I have to say is probably not correct, but very sweet. (laughs) And I don't even really know what to say other than to send you all of our love and say we're so incredibly happy that you found us. Yes, it gives me the warm and fuzzies. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. And with that, we are going to wrap up. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 23 and 24 of The Raven Boys. 
with a deep dive on EMF. And that is the first time we get to Caves Water. So it should be a fun one. Yeah. And then a note, we are planning on starting thematic or character deep dives in the coming episodes, kind of switching them up with our normal research, historical, folkloric, Mm -hmm. heavy deep dives where they fit. We've wanted to kind of get deeper into some of the themes and struggles of the characters themselves. And so we will be swapping that stuff out as appropriate. Right. Reminder that our recording schedule is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So follow us online for announcements of what chapters we'll be covering next. And please send us your thoughts because we really do love hearing from you. Yes, we do. And I wanted to say that if you have thoughts on an episode that we've released... We would love to hear those as well because we will bring them up in the following episode. If you have a correction to make, be polite. Absolutely. But feel free because I know that I've already made some mistakes and things that I've said (laughs) with more research. So please do get in touch. Speaking of getting in touch, you can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, on Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash ravengirls, and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. Yep, and you can reach me at substancepartytumblr.com or via Gmail at substanceparty with all of the A's removed. S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. If we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our very best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Seawater and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And until next time, whoop, whoop, Raven Girls! (laughs) Oh, we're nerds. I wore the creaky bra again. You wore the creaky bra again? <laughs> One of my bras creaks. I never <laughs> knew that until I started a podcast. I had to edit out every noise. But guess what? I'm not going broadless. All right. Jeez. It's oh, gonna man. be a long afternoon, my friends. <laughs> it's good to be back from break. It is. <laughs>